Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. I read a poll earlier this week that said that um, about 88% of us, if we could tell our former childhood what to do different, had some form or measure of answer that sounded something like this. I wish I would have. I regret that I didn't. Don't wait until you're a certain age before you do. I think one of the the worst things to hear any follower of Christ say is, I wish I would have. I'm 56 now. And there are certainly things I look back at my past and think, okay, Chuck, that was really dumb. And it, those are the things that I can say to our 20-something-year-old daughters, but let's face it, none of us hear that really, do we? Because inevitably, we all are a half a step away from something dumb. And now, in my case, I was cl- closer than a half a step. I crossed the line often, right? But when, when I learned what grace was and I learned who could extend grace, then I've learned from that because grace isn't grace when grace is expected, Right? And so what I look at now is, the, is how would I make sure that the rest of my life I could live in such a way that I didn't have to look back and say I wish I would have anymore. But most of us are in a season of life where, where we could look back and say some I wish I wouldn't have or I wish I would have or, or these are some things I would change. But 88 plus percent of the people said that, that really there are so many things that I would tell you that I know now that I wish I'd known then. Well, I'm not even sure. Had I known then what I know now, it would have been, I mean, can you imagine the difference? That, I mean, I would, I would have been a totally different dude, right? I mean, I, I wish I didn't, I wish I had lived my life in my 20s with the, with the wisdom I'm trying to the way I eat and exercise now, and I wouldn't have to fight that in my life, right? I wish I'd have spent more time in the Bible when I was in my 20s. The years that I gave up not walking with the Lord are painful. I believe there's five steps I want to unpack to you today, and I'm sure there are a hundred more but five pretty simple steps of how to be a better you, or in my case, how to be a better me. Because I I promise you, the world needs us to continually move closer to acting and living like Jesus. I don't think anybody in this this room or, or even watching online, I don't believe anybody would stand up and say, you know what, I believe America's doing great. I mean, we're living for God, we're loving Jesus, we're praying, we're, we're, we're helping one another, we're gracious, we're a kind nation. You know what? This is great. We don't have massive debt. We trust all of our politicians. I mean, this is good. We don't have any race issues. I mean, no, not one soul would stand up in this room and say that, would you? But see, the challenge is it is so easy to sit in Sugar Hill, Georgia, and blame somebody in Washington for what's going on in America when I believe if we're really gonna have any hope of allowing this country to return to what she was birthed to be, it will happen in our own hearts and revival will start in our own homes and we, we will become a people that act and react more like Jesus because we have taken some steps that the word of God has given us to make that a big deal. Now folks ask me all the time, what kind of church is Sugar Hill Church? I wanna make sure you understand the context for all of these five steps and that context is this. I believe, and as a church, we believe the Bible was, was written specifically by God, inspired those words into men's hands that penned these words. But these words are living and breathing. And you say, well, I don't really understand. When people say that, Chuck, it sounds like such a preacher talk. And it kind of is, except for this one thing. I can tell you, I have read the same piece of scripture 
over and over and over after the years. And there is never a time I haven't read it and learned something new. Ever. And you say, well, well Chuck, that just doesn't make any sense to me. If you, would you read a novel over and over and over again? No, probably not. You know why? That's not still living and moving and changing me. It's, it's not, that's entertainment. It's like a movie. A good movie ends with, with the right story, right? We went to see some movie. I forget what it was, Jim. We went to see some movie, and it was like the end was so abrupt. It was like the, everybody in the room was like, are they punking us? I mean, seriously, that, that had no ending. It just like stopped. The great thing about the Word of God is it, not only does it not stop, it continues to live and breathe within you. And, and the Scriptures say that it will never return void, which means it will always accomplish the purpose for which God sent it. But that means for that to happen, you and I have to be in it. We have to live with it. We have to live because of it. All right? So let's talk about some five steps to a better you. Number one, let's set a course. Let's make sure we set a course. How many times have you heard this in business or, or school or somewhere? You know, the failure to plan is to plan to fail, right? Okay, all of that is true. Listen, I believe you ought to have a good plan, but I believe we need to understand what to do with the plan, right? Let's, we need to understand what am I going to do with the plan. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, by the way, when they pull up these slides today, I want to make sure that you take your cameras out and take a picture of these, or they're on the Sugar Hill uh, Church app. You can just look at them in there. But we, we probably have 22 or 23 scripture references today. The easiest way for you to capture, capture those are in the app or take a picture of the screens. So five steps to a better you. Let's, let's set a course. Let's make sure we head in the right direction. Let's make sure that we, we determine what we want to be. Now, some of you would say, you know, Chuck, all this stuff, I've been to, I've been to workshops, I've been, I've been to those things where they tell me I've got to build a mission and a vision and a value, and I don't know which order to do them, and it's all a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, and uh, it's this simple. You ready? You sit down, and you write five things down that you would like to define you five years from now. Just write five things down. Five years from now, I would like for people to find my life with these words. Now, I, I'll guarantee you nobody is going to write these words down. Five years from now, I want people to know that I'm incredibly selfish. Five years from now, I want people to know that I'm incredibly petty and unforgiving. You know, five years from now, what I really want people to know is that, no, I don't need the Lord Jesus. I can do it all on my own. I don't believe anybody's going to write those down, but I do believe we'll see people that will write things down. Like, I would love for people to know that my walk with Christ is real. I would like for people to know that I'm generous. I'd like for people to know that I'm gracious. I'd like for people to know I'm forgiving. I'd like for people to know that I stand for something. I'd like for people to know my yes means yes and my no means no. I could go on and on. But eventually, if we don't set a course, we'll never get on track. The Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Now watch this. This is not only a promise, but it is a promise to a promise. All right, now watch this. The scriptures say, and remember, the, the Proverbs is a dad writing to a son to try and impart wisdom into the son's life. And so the, the, the scripture, the Lord inspires the dad, and the dad writes, commit to the Lord whatever you do. Now, it's the picture of saying, I'm going to build my plan, Lord, but then I'm going to lay it at your feet. And when I do, what I'm really saying is, I'm going to let your will take over my will. I'm going to let your timing take over my timepiece. I'm going to allow your desire for my heart and the plan that you have for my life 
to trump anything I've written because when you do that, look at the scripture again, then he will establish your plan. But you see, he's not going to do anything with your plan until you decide that you're going to commit that to the Lord. Have you ever wondered why people, most people, at the end of a prayer say, in Jesus' name, and then am, and then amen? You wonder why they do that? Because in that phrase, what you're really saying is, <coughs> excuse me, swallowed frog here. Hang on. Better. Okay. <coughs> oh, much better. Yeah. Well, maybe not. <coughs> Good. All right. When we commit to the Lord, whatever we do, then we're, we're allowing him to move on. When you say, in the name of Jesus, amen, what you're saying is, Lord, everything I said, I'm committing this to your will. I'm committing this to your desire. I'm committing this to your plan. Whatever my plan is, I want to give it to you because I know that you have plans for me. How do I know that? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I have seen that text be butchered so many times by the word prosper because we Americans seem to think that prosper means financial gain. But listen, when you commit to the Lord your plan, yes, what you have, he has blessed you with, but that if you have less finances, that doesn't mean you're less blessed. <coughs> you say, well, Chuck, a little more blessing would help a, a little nicer car. Well, Chuck, a little more blessing would help finish that basement. A little more blessing in a swimming pool would be nice. A little more blessing in Hawaii could be ours. But see, the Lord blesses us in so many ways. You look at these children, and sometimes you think, how could they possibly be a gift from the Lord? And yet they are. Look at your spouse if you're sitting with them right now. Gaze into their eyes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jackie, look at your husband. Stop taking notes for a minute. Look at your husband. Yeah. All right, now here's what I want you to say. And you got to do it with a little attitude. Throw this out. Mmm, baby, I love you. Come on. How many of you refuse to do that? Okay, well, I have appointments on Thursday that are available, and uh, we'll see what we can do. You see, when, when we recognize that the Lord has a better plan for us than we could ever create, we have no problem committing that into his hands and allowing his timing, his will, his way, trump anything that we wrote or we thought. I spent most of my adult life not attempting to do what the Lord called me to do when I was 15 years age. At 15, I was at a youth camp. I knew the Lord had called me to, be, to, to do what I'm doing right now. I swore I would never do what I'm doing right now. I'm almost five years into the pastor of the church, and I, I've never been more fulfilled. I've never been more content. I've never been more inspired. I've never felt more healthy. I, in, in, in my life right now, I'm thinking, if I could go back and tell myself 40 years ago what to do, you know what I've said? Hear God, answer God, trust all your plans to God because his plans are going to trump anything you come up with. The son to the father writes again in Proverbs 16, 9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So you, you can choose, okay, I'm going to go from here to there. But Lord, I'm going to commit this plan to you. And the Lord says, this is great. You're going to go about this far and we're going to take a hard left and then we're going to take a hard right, and then we're going to put you where I need you and where I want you and where I can bless you, and I know that wasn't a part of your plan, but Lord, when I committed to you, I allowed you to take what was good and make it awesome. I allowed you to take, Lord, what I created and now you created, and I am admitting to the divine that is all on him. And when we commit that, what does it say? And he will establish our plans. Number one, set a course. Number two, 
Now, don't, don't lose me on this one. Create space for meditation. Create space in your life for meditation. Now, some of you just totally checked out, right? Because you see, we in the faith community, it seems like we've given away the word meditation to Deepak Chopra somehow. And somehow in our, our mind, we heard uh, meditation, and if you're old like I am, you, you, your thoughts you know, ran to transcendental and silliness like that. But meditation is the ability to find quietude and solitude with your creator and then be at peace with him. Now, if there's anything that we have a vast shortage of in America today is quietude. Everywhere we turn, there is noise, is it not? I mean, everywhere we turn, there's somebody clamoring for our attention that we might hear that voice. Listen to what God says about creating space for meditation. Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season, and their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. And so the scripture is saying now, listen, take the, vo take the voices that you're hearing and lend and direct your ear to the voice of heaven so that you have a moment of quietude and solitude where you can center your heart and your mind and your life on the presence and the power of Jesus and afresh and new every day, take Jesus and put him in the right priority of our life and hear from him. Now, if you say to me, well, Chuck, I've tried to do that and I've never heard from the voice of heaven, then what I would say to you is then make sure that this second step is not missed. If you will start reading the word of God, I will promise you if you'll be faithful to read it and shut out the noise, you'll hear from God. I know it. I believe it. I, I absolutely am confident in it. And you say, well, Chuck, I never have. Then quietude, solitude, and a heart that says, God, I want whatever you have for me. I want to surrender my will to yours. Lord, take me there. Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Did you see all that, though? The words and the mouth, and how do they come out? In meditation. Now, people, people ask me all this time, like, I hear you use the term meditation, Chuck, but what does that really mean? I mean, so, do, are you chanting stuff? Or are you going, um, I mean, what? No, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a quiet place to still my heart, to focus my mind, to refresh my soul, to spend a little time with the Lord. And, and the plan I try to follow and I try to encourage you is, listen, if you, if you, you cannot go from zero time with God to an hour because you're, you're just asking to fail. Right? I mean, so, so if, you, if you never spend any time in meditation, try this for three minutes. I, I promise you, if you give it a shot, you will find how inevitable, it's overwhelmingly valuable in your life. So in my life, what I do is I find the quietest place I can get, which is often not in my home, and, and I get as quiet and as still as I can. I take three extraordinarily deep breaths in through my nostrils, hold it, and then I force that air through my mouth. And you say, well, Chuck, what's the deal about that? I don't know. It's just what I do. But in my life, it calms me. It sets me in a position and posture to be with the Lord and to hear from the Lord. Shortly thereafter, I'm either reading Scripture or I'm listening to Scripture. And then I respond to Scripture. And I respond two different ways. One, I speak openly with the Lord. And I've determined that I'm going to hit the, brute, blue, the, red, or the green button on my cell phone and my conversation with the Lord. And I'm not hitting the red one until I go to bed. We're going to be in a conversation all day long. But right now, it's so focused. And, and, and I'm, I'm, one of the, I'm, a, man, I'm one of those prayers, man, I pray about stuff. If you're on my calendar that day, you get prayed for. 
If you're, on, if you're on that prayer sheet where you fill in those cards uh, today and you drop in the basket later, man, I'm praying for you. You know, and they, I, I pray for me. It's like, you know, this is one messed up cat, man. I mean, I can make a disaster out of anything. I need the Lord, don't you? But I, when I hear it and I listen to it and I read it, then I respond. I respond openly to the Lord and I also write a few thoughts down what I believe the Lord's trying to tell me. And I, I, I would just say to you, if that's completely out of your scope, five minutes, start with three minutes, start with five minutes, start with 10 minutes. Mine's about 10 minutes, guys. I, I, know, I know as a pastor, I'm supposed to tell you I give God the first hour. I don't. I know I'm supposed to tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always in a spirit. No, there's some days I have to just kind of suck it up, buttercup, let's go, you know. But I, but I would say to you, if, if you want to better you, you, you got to set a course, but you got to create space for meditation. If you want to hear from the Lord, you got to spend time with the Lord. If you want to be able to hear from God, you got to spend some time in his word. 2 Timothy 2.7 says, think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. So if you're here today and you say, Chuck, I've tried to read the Bible. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's frustrating to me. Then all you got to do is stick with it long enough because the Lord's going to give you a word through it. And he might if you read the same passage over and over and over again. I've got a, I've got a young guy that I'm trying to help and mentor in downtown Atlanta and you know what I've told him five times now? Go back and start at John 1. At the end of every chapter, at the end of John, ask yourself, what did Jesus say about that? And what are you going to do about it? Five times I've had him go through that process. You know why? Because if he'll stick with it, I promise you, God's going to talk to him. And one of these days, he's going to look at me and say, Chuck, okay, dude, that, it worked. Yes, it will. Our God is faithful. All right? Set a course. Create space for medication. Third, stay the course. Stay on course. If you get on a Delta jet and you leave Los Angeles headed for Atlanta, but you take off a half a degree too far to the south, when you land, you're in Havana. And let me just say to you, if you think the security's tough at Hartsfield, you see nothing until you get to Havana. When they pull you out of that line and take you in that room, it's got that little, you know, little light bulb up there, that's real. You see that stuff on the movies, man. They, they pulled me out of that line when I flew into Havana and I thought, oh my stars, I'm gonna die in Cuba. How awesome is that? People will say nice things about me when I'm dead then. That'd be so cool. But we got to stay the course. Psalm 33, 1, you know what the scripture says? The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. You know what that tells me? God never changes. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. God has never left us. God has never walked away from us. God is here for us. He is for us. And along the way, his plan hasn't changed. His redemption plan of us coming to faith in, in, in Christ is the forgiveness of our sin and it's heaven for all those who believe. But the scripture also says, according to Jesus, on earth as it is here in heaven. We need to stay the course. James 1:17. every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Listen, your life might be on track. You might be mad at God about something, but God has never failed you, but he might be growing you up for something. He might be preparing you for something. Could I just stop and say, we will never ever set the course create time for meditation and stay the course until we let go of the past. Sometimes those are relationships. More often, it is the recognition that I am a sinful and I am a selfish person and I need the Lord to forgive me and take over my life so that my past doesn't dictate my future. However, everything I've learned in the past, God can use for his glory if I'm willing to surrender that. 
When we set the course, when we stay the course, we got to be consistent. God's always consistent, and we want to grow to become more like him. As a matter of fact, look, look at what, uh, again, Psalm 19, 14. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be pleasing. Proverbs 21, 21, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I knew, if I knew that I could ask one of you for a hundred bucks, and with that hundred, I could go to a store that's reputable and, and, and honorable, and I could buy with that hundred bucks life, prosperity, and honor, you know what I'd do? I'd be asking for a hundred dollar bills as fast as I could. Because I'd go, I, I, I want in my life, and I believe you do too, I, I need life, prosperity, and honor in my life, but it's not going to happen apart from setting my course and staying the course in the presence and the power of Jesus, the Alpha, the Omega, our strong tower. When I run into his arms, when I rest in his arms, when I surrender in his arms, when I surrender my will to his, what's happening is I have created a space for meditation where that happens because I've set a course to head to live more like Christ, and I'm going to stay the course because if I pursue righteousness and love, find what happens? Life, prosperity, and honor. And then you know what I do? I get generous. At that next step, I learn to live with an open hand. I learn to live generously. Now, I just lost at least 75% of you because what you thought, I knew he was going to get around to money eventually. I, let me just stop and say, I don't believe this is about money. Living generously, for some of you, it could be about money, but, but, but oftentimes it's what you're willing to give of you. Often it's, what are, you, what are you willing to do with what the Lord's given you? Let me just stop. How many of you today believe that you have been a Christ follower, you're a Christian, you've given your life to Christ more than five years? You raise your hand, more, more than five years ago. Raise, raise them high, raise them high. All right, just keep them up for a minute. Just keep them up for a minute. All right, when you said yes to Jesus, he gave you a gift to go to work for the body and for the good of the body of Christ. What are you doing with that gift? And if you'd say, well, nothing, Chuck, I'm just in a time where I need to be fed. Come on, man. The Lord gave you a gift. Open it and put that bad boy to work. We got stuff to do. Thank you. And you say, well, Chuck, that's kind of harsh. Yeah. If I gave you a present and it was wrapped up beautifully because it was custom made for you and you let it sit there for 15 or 20 years not doing anything, you know what I'm thinking? No more gifts for you, bud. You ever been at Christmas and the gift you bought for somebody was the gift? You ever been there? Yeah, I know. Like, Jenna and I were talking about this on the way home yesterday for moving uh, Samantha into college. By the way, sixth girl in college, boom, yes. I can see the end of the tunnel, baby. Yeah, yeah. I noticed it's funny. I could say some deep spiritual meaning and y'all never clap. I say something like that and it's like, yeah, we love you, preacher. That's awesome. Yeah, but now watch this. Generosity. We, we don't give well from our pocketbook until such time we've learned to give of our heart. The best, way we, the best way we're going to serve is take that gift and use it for the kingdom good. What, what did Jesus say when he told the parable of, of the servants who were, who were given the, the money to invest? The last one did nothing with it. What did Jesus say to him? You are a wicked, lazy person. I'm just taking a shot here. That applies to some of us, doesn't it? Acts 20 verse 35 says, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is true when we do it with the right heart, isn't it? That is true when we do it with the right heart. 
Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. The, the message here is this. If you're not doing something with what you have, why would you ever think God's going to allow you to have more? Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Aren't there times that you just feel like you're dry and you just need a little water on you? Yeah, this, this picture here is, listen, if, if you'll give freely, you'll receive freely. If you, but please, it's not just money. Listen, sometimes it is about money because that's what we're living for. But often it's just taking the gift that the Lord has put in your hands to use for his glory and for his kingdom. Luke 21, beginning in verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they are, they are all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You know what Jesus is teaching? If you are giving 10% of your income, then God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But if that is not sacrificial to you, then I'm telling you, then you haven't been obedient to the Lord. If, if you come and show up one hour at Sunday at 11 o'clock to sit here and get fed and sing and then leave because you put a check mark in the box next to God, I showed up for you, then let me stop and say to you, you have missed every message the Lord Jesus is trying to call you into because he has so much more for you than just sit here and sing and listen and then go gripe about the preacher. There's so much more to life. Let's don't miss that. We are to live our life with generosity. The other day, I was coming home from Chatsworth, Georgia. Now, if you've never been to Chatsworth, just know it's 13 miles past nowhere. And I was coming home from Chatsworth, and I was starving. So I ran through a Wendy's drive-thru, and I ordered a grilled chicken sandwich with just lettuce and tomato. No cheese, no nothing. That's it, right? I got up to the window, and this little girl says, you got a double cheeseburger, no onion, right? No, I got grilled chicken. Well, that order's not on the screen. Okay. So I, I figured out pretty quick. She's training, right? She's in training. Dude training her. We had a problem. So they spent a few minutes trying to tell me what I, they thought I ordered. And so finally I said, I'll tell you what, if you'll just give me that sandwich, I'll gladly take it. So they handed me the sandwich. I said to the little girl, I said, thank you for your kindness. I know you've had a hard day. I hope you have a better rest of the day. Now, can I just stop and say, everything in me wanted to say, what is wrong with you people? I wanted to. But it's hard to talk about kindness for about three weeks and then talk about having a path where the Lord's going to use you and live graciously and live with an open hand and then, and then spoil it with, with just a fit of anger and selfishness. But then finally... You know, the scripture says about these gifts in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because, you see, however we act and react with the things that God has given us, then we're telling the world what we really believe. If you say, well, Chuck, I'm, I, I'm not helping those people. They, they, they need to do their own. They need to take care of their own. Okay. We, we know exactly what your heart says. boy. You see, I... I I believe the way we act and we react with the resources that God has entrusted to us, including our gifts and our relationships and our family and our money and our homes and our cars and our church, 
is a direct reflection of what this heart looks like. And when this heart is cold and dead and selfish, that's what's going to come out of our mouth, and that's going to come out of our wallet, and that's what's going to come out of our life. And so if, if, if you're here today and you say, well, Chuck, clearly you don't appreciate how much money I give. If your heart behind that is not, I want to give to the Lord Jesus because of all he's done, all he's doing, and all he's yet to do, keep your money. He, he, he doesn't need a rotten heart. He, he needs somebody to give cheerfully. And then finally, I believe the fifth step is you got to serve, and you, then you got to serve some more, and then you got to serve, and then you got to serve some more. First Peter chapter four verse ten says, "As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever." Amen. So when you've received a gift, you've said yes to Christ, you want to walk with Jesus and become a Christian, God has given you this gift, now you need to put it to work. And you say, well, Chuck, I don't know what to do with it. Well, how about we make it easy? What if we made it incredibly easy? Listen to what Matthew 23, 11 said. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Jesus is saying, so if you want a definition of great, then go find somebody who's serving people. Go find somebody who's serving the Lord. Go find somebody that's using their gift set to, to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Matthew 18 starts giving us an idea of where that might be. You see, I agree with Dr. Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God, that really, when we hit our stride walking with Christ, we are going to seek where God is already at work and then join him in that work, that our plan becomes one of those plans that the Lord has taken into his will, into his timing, and we're involved in what he's already doing, and now he chooses to use that through us, in us, for us, and for his glory. And one of the fastest ways to do that, Matthew 18 tells us, beginning in verse 1, it says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Does that not sound like a question we'd ask? Hey God, am I the greatest? Come on, really? Come on, I'm the greatest, right? That's, that's the essence of the question. And listen to what he, what he says. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus is saying to us right here, right now? You know what he's saying? If I show up at Sugar Hill Church, the first place I'm gonna go hang out is with boys and girls. And I'm, I'm gonna watch those people on the floor with those boys and girls. And I'm gonna think, that's my boy. That's my girl, look at there. Because you see, Jesus made it simple. If you want to become the greatest, then what do you have to do? I gotta serve other people. Well, where do you serve? people. Look at where God's already at work. Where is God at work? Jesus, his son said, children are a big deal to me. Because if you'll learn to act in faith like a child can before you talk yourself out of faith, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. Luke 18 verse 16. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, don't miss where I'm already at work. If Jesus were to walk back into Sugar Hill Church in the flesh today, right now, we in this room would not be his first stop. I am confident his first stop would be somewhere down there where those bed babies are at, where Miss Lois is rocking some babies, screaming their guts out, but she calmed them down. I guarantee you the Lord's more interested in connecting with Lois than he is with me. 
They'd show up in a, down there where those children's worship folks are going right now, and your kids are having more fun than you are. And the kid, when you get in the car, they're going to hold those. They're going to bring that little paper home that Gina makes sure with Scripture and how to apply and how to make decisions and what to do. Jesus is already there. So, I, listen, I don't have any bones about what I'm going to ask you to do. Hector's going to come out, and we're going to sing. And, and when we start ready to sing, I just want you to stand up. And when we start standing up and singing, I want you to go back and look. Okay, Chuck, what are those five? All right, where did it start? I need to build a plan. Well, after I build a plan, well, what do I do new? I need to create space in my life for meditation. What do I do then? Stay the course. Let God take you. Rest in him. Stop with him. Go with him. Well, what do I do then? Live my life generously. If you don't give anything now, do something. Give your life. Give your talents. Give your treasure. And then finally, what do I do? Serve people. You say, well, Chuck, how do I go about serving people? Now, watch this. Super easy. You say, well, if Jesus is at work with those kids, maybe that's where I ought to go. Yeah, that's a great start. Now, before I I get into this, some of y'all are my age. You're you're mid to late 50s to to mid to late 60s, and and something happens in our body when we get that age that says, you know what, I'm done. I'm, I'm just totally done. I worked in preschool when I had preschoolers. I worked in children when I had children. I worked at middle school when I had middle schoolers. I, I worked in high school when I had high schoolers. When, when, when my kids went off to college, I quit. I'm done. Okay, let me just ask this. I mean, I, I mean this. There's no couples on the planet that need to be in an adult group being fed or in here being fed more so than, than parents who have two or three kids under four or five. Those are the most exhausted people on the planet. So you're not done. You are not done. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.